Well, friends, our scripture lesson today is taken from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So next week is the Super Bowl, and when you hear the analysis of the game and you hear them talking about the strengths and the weaknesses of Kansas City and San Francisco, you know, one of the things you hear about is stats. They start bringing up statistics, and so you hear about quarterback ratings and turnovers and yards per play and all these kinds of things. But one of the things that happens is we can get so buried in those kinds of stats, those kinds of measures, that we can lose sight on ultimately the stats don't matter. What matters is points. You know, whoever gets the most points wins. And sometimes in, in our lives, we get hung up on, on these tangential measures of things. We get hung up on things that are indicators. They're not completely unimportant, but they're not actually the thing that matters at the end of the day. All right? They may correlate to it. They may help you find a problem with it, but they not, they're not actually what matters. What's happening in the church in Corinth with Paul's, uh, Paul's beginning of his letter. So uh, Paul writes letters to the churches that he has visited or churches that he's going to visit. And what he, what's happening is that Paul is hearing about what's going on. So people write to him. They exchange letters. Uh, Paul was involved in the marketplace. Some of the people were presumably merchants, and that's how communications would go back and forth. They would carry word to him, and they would ask him questions. They would say, Paul, here's what's going on. Here's a problem. What should we do? And, and he reports at the start of this letter to the Corinthians, the church at Corinth, that they're fighting. It says, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you. He's heard of trouble, and now he's going to start to tell them what they need to do. And when he hears about the quarrels, he says, look, this is what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that you are claiming allegiances. You are Paul. You're one of Paul's people. You're one of Apollos' people. You're one of Cephas's people. Cephas is, by the way, the Aramaic for Peter. So this is, so this is Peter. So they're claiming allegiance to Peter. They're claiming allegiance to Christ. They're claiming allegiance to Paul. They're claiming allegiance to Apollos. And remember that it's not unusual that they might do this because the church in Corinth would be a place that Jesus had not visited, okay? So they never met Christ. There's no one there except people bringing the word to them. And it's kind of natural that they would develop this allegiance to the people who had converted them, to the people who brought them the gospel. So a person sits there and says, okay, wait, Apollos brought me the gospel. Apollos, you know, taught me about the faith. So, so I'm an Apollos Christian, all right? I, I, I'm 
I'm a Peter Christian. But Paul says, wait a second. Has Christ been divided? Has Christ been divided? Really? Are are we supposed to be in these factions, in these camps? Has Christ been divided? Was Paul, me, you know, was I crucified for you? Were you baptized in my name? No, you were, you were baptized in Jesus' name. It's Jesus who went to the cross for you. Christ is not divided. It's supposed to be about Jesus. Jesus is what's central. The rest were just messengers, and what matters is Christ. And sometimes in our world, we, we start to confuse these things. We start to conflate things, and we start to forget that following a Christian leader is not the same as following Christ, okay? Christian leaders are are just human beings trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure it out along with everybody else, and and sometimes some leaders get it maybe a little more right than others, but how do we know? We don't know, right? We tend to think they're getting it right because we agree with them, but that doesn't actually matter. What matters is whether Jesus agrees with them, right? I mean, that's what matters. So you can't really know. But sometimes we just start following Christian leaders instead of following Christ. But this is a, this is a risk that, that happens. It's a risk that happens many times in our lives when we start to get distracted and we begin to focus on the tangential rather than focusing on on what is central. And it's not that the tangential things are completely off track, okay? For example, you know, if I talk about distractions, if I talk about what distracts you, it's one thing if I'm supposed to be writing my sermon and I start playing a video game. All right, that's a pretty obvious distraction, right? I spend two hours, whatever, doing that, okay? No, all right? That's not actually the way I get distracted, Right? I, I, I've been accused of having a little, that my spirit animal was part squirrel. <laughs> you know, sometimes I just start heading off in another direction. I don't get distracted by something completely unrelated by a video game. I'm supposed to be writing my sermon, and I start thinking about other things around the church that kind of need to get done, but they don't really need to be done by Sunday. My sermon needs to be done by Sunday, but I spend a few hours on the other thing, okay? Sometimes we focus on the tangential that way. Sometimes we start to focus on the metrics, and we don't understand that the, that the metrics are not the answer. They may help. They may be an indicator. For example, if you're married, if you're in a partnership, if you're whatever, you have a significant other, probably is a good idea to tell that person that you love them. Probably a good idea to tell them that you love them. It's probably a good idea to tell them that you love them pretty frequently. All right? Now, suppose you went to a seminar and said, well, you know, here's a secret of a, of a happy relationship. You should tell your partner that you love them three times a day. So you set a timer on your watch, <laughs> you know, for, for like 8 a.m., 2 p.m., 6 p.m., and you tell your partner, I love you. Next thing you know, your marriage is falling apart, and you're like, I don't get it. I went to the seminar. It said, do this three times a day, and I did, and my relationship still fell apart. All right? 
because sometimes we focus on the tangential and we think the tangential is the answer. Sure, it's an indicator. Probably a relationship where nobody, where neither person tells the other they love them at all, that's probably not a great sign. But you can't reduce it to a formula because the formula isn't what actually is at the core of the issue. All right? And what, ha- what we have to stay focused on is what's actually at the core of the issue, what's the core of our lives. And so Paul says, look, you know what you need to do? You need to not have divisions, and you need to be united in the same mind and the same purpose. You need to have the same core to your understanding. You need to be centered on Christ. You need to have this central purpose, this central mind, this central way of thinking. The people had gotten away from it. They thought that by following Apollos or by following Paul or by following Peter, they were following Jesus, but they had actually removed themselves a step away from what was central in their lives. And we do that pretty often. We do that pretty often. We often start to do things that are one step removed from what is actually central, and we need to remind ourselves and ask ourselves this question, what is actually at the core of your life? What's actually at the core of your life? What is your life really, really built around? All right? Because when you get distracted from that, when you get separated from what's at the core of your life, things start to go wrong. And sometimes the things that go wrong go wrong in a different area than the area where the problem is. All right, that happens in all kinds of areas. Okay, let me give you an example for myself, just uh, just physically. All right, I love sports. Right, I talk about sports all the time. I use lots of sports analogies. I love sports. The sport I used to play as a kid was baseball. All right, so probably don't look at me and think athlete, but I did play a lot of baseball. I was a pitcher, all right? So I was a pitcher, and I actually destroyed my arm doing it, okay? In fact, you probably can't, you can't see it. I wear long sleeve shirts, but what you can't tell is that my right arm actually will not straighten completely, all right? There's a slight bend to it. I can't move my, I can't make my elbow go completely straight because of injuries in my elbow from pitching. Now, how did that happen? It's because of something that you can easily guess. I hate running. I hate running. I hate running. And if you ever see baseball pitchers, they are constantly running. They constantly do laps. They run, they run, they run, they run, because the power of throwing comes from your legs. The power of pitching comes from pushing off with your legs. That's why if you would see, remember Tom Seaver, the great Met pitcher? He had that real deep, like his knee was almost on the ground when he was throwing, pushing off, because the power comes from your legs. And everyone who knows about pitching knows that the power comes from your legs. My legs were weak because I did not run. I did not build that fundamental foundation that you needed to pitch. And when you don't do that, you try to make up for it by arm strength. And when you try to make up for it with the arm strength, your elbow can't handle the stress, and you ruin your elbow. All right? So the problem, why is my arm messed up? Because I didn't run. 
And that's kind of a metaphor for things that happen in our lives. We don't lay that foundation. We don't do the right thing. We don't focus on the stuff that needs to happen to build on. And then the problem shows up somewhere else. And sometimes we rationalize that disconnect. For example, we probably met people who ruined their family life by working too much. And, And when they did... If you ask them, you know, why do you work so much? You're, you know, you're getting disconnected from your family. You're not spending any time with your, with your partner. You're not spending any time with your kids. And what do they tell you? But I'm doing it for them. I'm doing it for them. And, and so that's the rationalization. That's that one-level disconnect of saying they think that they're doing it for their family, but they're actually ruining their family but rationalizing that it's for them when if you ask their family what they want, what would they say? But we want you to be with us. All right. And that's one of the ways in which we get this disconnect between what's tangential and what's core. Sure, you, you need to, somebody's got to work and put food on the table and keep, you know, keep a roof over their heads, you know, that's got to happen. But it can't take the place of the other. That can't become the focus. You'll lose touch with what's actually central. And one of the things we need to remember is that doing for someone is not as good as being with someone. See, that's one of the ways in which we start to degrade our relationships and the way we start to degrade our connection with people is instead of maintaining a connection of being with, we start to say, well, I'm doing for. So yes, we have this great relationship because I do for. Yes, I'm a good parent because I do for. But it's not as important as being with. And it really is really is important to remember this when it comes to our relationship with God. Doing for God is not nearly as important as spending time being with God. By the way, this is a major occupational hazard among pastors. We sit there and we think that that we're we're really close to God because our entire career is focused around doing stuff for God and sometimes we forget to spend time with God. Because being with God is how you get filled. Being with is so much more important than doing for. It was, uh, speaking of pastoring, I was reading an article this week. It was, uh, it was a really nice article. It was written by the president of Princeton Seminary. Uh, he was talking about how a couple members of his board who are retired pastors were both dying within like a couple weeks of each other and he was visiting them in the hospital and he was talking to them about their lives and he said what was, was interesting was not, he said it was expected that of course their faith was strong, they did not fear death, they knew that they were going to be with God but he said what was most striking in talking to them about their attitude facing death and, and reviewing their lives was their sense of gratitude. That what, they, that what they expressed more than anything else was just the gratitude. And the gratitude was about the, the being with part of life. See, I got to tell you personally, speaking for me in, in, in what I do, the being with part's the most meaningful part. 
The doing for, eh. I won't remember this sermon in a week. <laughs> but being with, yeah. Being with people at, being in hospital rooms, whether it's at a birth, which is a really joyous thing, or, or when they get really bad news, before a surgery, after a surgery. Being in the room when, being in the room when somebody goes home to God is a really, really moving thing. You know? I remember the baptisms. I remember the weddings. I remember the funerals. Okay. Even the weddings and funerals of people who only come to the church for that and you're never going to see them again, it's still a privilege to have been with them at an important part of their lives. Okay. And they and so you said that these pastors died with a, with a sense of gratitude for their opportunities to be with others. And I, and I wonder for you what, how that shows up in your life. You know, the, the things that, you, that you'll be grateful for at the end. The, the, the opportunities to be with others, to be with God, to be with you know, the things that are important in life and, and how that will shape your life as you look back on it in terms of, of gratitude and saying, gosh, you know, when I'm, when it's my time, if I happen to know that my time is coming, I'm going to look back and say, I am so grateful that I was able to blank. And I'll bet you that that blank is not going to be go to Disney World. It might be who you went to Disney World with. Okay. But it won't be that you went. And maybe that helps us try to figure out what the core of our life needs to be that we would build on. Because when I talk about what's the core of your life, I think a lot of people, myself included, go, gee, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure what the core of my life is. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'd love to focus on, my, on the core of my life. That sounds great, but I've got to figure out what that is. And maybe one of the ways to indicate what the core is would be talking about how you would be grateful at the end of your days. And whether you would look back and say, I am so grateful in my life for being with X. And maybe that's how you can structure your life and, and say, this is how I'm going to focus my time. And say, I'm going to spend my life as much as possible remembering that what's really important, what really counts, is to spend time with that which I will be grateful for at the end of my life. I'll be grateful for loved ones. I'll be grateful for friends. I'll be great. I'm grateful for little kids. I love the little kids, seeing little kids here. You know. I don't regret a minute that I've spent with them. I regret lots of other minutes that I've spent, <laughs> you know, but not with them. So maybe, just maybe, build your life on a core of spending your life with God, because I'll be grateful for my relationship with Jesus Christ, with the loved ones in your life, with your friends.
with what's important. Spend your life with what you'll be grateful for at the end of it. And if that's your core, that's your core, the the rest of your life will be built on a really solid foundation. And if you miss that core, you'll see things falling apart in random places, disconnected from, from, from it. You won't know why it is, but somehow it's just not right because the core wasn't solid. Amen.